Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Sebastian. Thanks so much for joining us on the second time of the podcast. So, Char, have you again. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. So maybe if you can introduce or define yourself briefly for maybe people first time listening to you, if you can introduce yourself. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. My name is Sebastian Riese. I'm a professor at the IT University in Copenhagen. And um, my research is mainly about... Um, uh, can we try to make robots and, and agents more adaptive, more creative? Uh, can they try out solutions that we have not maybe thought about? Can they learn in, in kind of an open-ended way, like learning in an open-ended way new skills and, and, um, and building on the skills they already have to learn things faster? Uh, and we use a diversity of different uh, techniques, like from evolutionary computation, evolutionary robotics, uh, combine often also with some form of, of deep learning and, uh, and apply it across a, like a variety of different domains. Like games is one of the popular domains, and, but also some, uh, some robotics tasks. Mm-hmm. Great. So I'm curious to ask you about your work, recent work about uh, how we can design, for example, growing machine using neural automata. If you can first introduce for people what is actually neural automata and what's inspiration from evolution or to to the design that like that, yeah. Right. So yeah, the, so so it's basically building on this idea of uh, of cellular automata and and uh, uh, which have been around for 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 a long time. Uh, and the basic idea yeah. there is that you can. Um, by having very simple interactions between cells, you can already get very, very complex patterns and you can see things that we also see in natural system, like, for example, replication. And, and, and uh, the traditional way of using these cellular automata is that you hand program the rules of these cellular automata into the system. So you say, like, if you have three neighboring cells, then you should also become an alive cell. If you have four cells, maybe you should, that cell should die. And just by having these kind of simple rules, you, you can get very complex uh, self-replicating structures, cannons. You can get all kinds of interesting behaviors this way. Um, but of course, by, by manually making these rules, it's a little harder to, if, you, if you're interested in a particular outcome. So what we were interested in in, or in our work is, let's say you want a, a cellular automata that builds a certain structure, like a, a robot or builds a, a castle in Minecraft. Can we learn the rules just through local interaction of cells? Like each cell just looks at its neighbor. Can we learn those rules uh, to to then, in a self-organizing way, build that structure? And so um, that's where these neural cellular automata come into play, which other people have also experimented with, with, with uh, for example, with 2D uh, um, uh, images. Uh, can you grow a certain 2D image? And we extended it to this 3D case. And there, the, the idea is that because neural networks are good at learning different functions, uh, can we train the neural network uh, then to grow a particular arch- like a particular structure? Or can we, can we train them, in the case of the soft robots, can we train them to um, be resilient to damage? So if you cut off a leg, there's a lot of um, organism nature that, that, can, uh, that can recover from this, can regrow limbs. 
so we wanted to see can we train a neural cell automata to also learn the rules to be able to regenerate itself. Mm -hmm. Great. So when it comes to the embodied intelligence, for example, when we apply what you try to do in research, where is the damage happening in the brain or the morphology of the robot and how they can adapt to each other? If you get this about the resilience of dancing and design and the role that maybe neural automata is playing here to make the robot more resilient and redundant in case of damages here. Yeah, so so the robot is is uh, so the this uh, there are two different different things we we're looking at. So so one is the um, training robots just their morphology to be able to regenerate. Like that's the work we did with the soft robots, and and basically there is the resilience comes from that the program learned this neural cell automata. It basically learned to regrow the missing part. So we train it under a lot of different variations. Like we cut off this part, we cut off this part, um, and then the the program learns to okay. If I if I recognize that here something is for example missing, then I should um, like start cell grow again in this for example area, and 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 it's able to regenerate uh, that particular shape. So so the the way of getting resilience into these systems, it's currently the, it's, it's a lot in the training procedure. So you have to set up training in a way that facilitate that, that um, encourages it to find a solution that is robust to this kind of damage. Um, so if you always during training, remove parts of the structures, then it will be able to, then you can bias it towards being able to learn. If you have a, like, um, a good enough representation of the cell automata, then you can get it to learn these kind of dynamics of how it should regrow. And we did something, and, and so I'm very interested in this idea of kind of self-organization where the resilience comes only basically from having these local components that all follow the same neural network. So they all have the same kind of DNA and only through local interaction can they build up this resilience. So that's one thing that, that a lot of like, um, Biological systems are good at because they are made out of like these uh, small like the components that themselves are maybe not so intelligent, but by working together yeah. in this kind of self-organizing kind of swarm intelligence way, they they're able to do more than the than the individual parts. And so, and then we also applied the same ideas that we applied for this uh, for the robot also to neural networks, where instead of training neural networks like normally how you do it through backpropagation. We only trained local learning rules, uh, so they have there's some correspondence to these neural cell automata. So only learning local rules that tell the connections how to change. And then we were also able to show that if you then in this network you just remove you you just uh, set all a lot of weights to zero, then it's able to recover from this um, you know damage. Um, also because you have all these local parts that are trained for resilience. So so the same way we can make these neural networks. Um, more resilient. You can also make, you know, robots more resilient by using these like concepts from kind of self-organization. Mm -hmm. Great. So when it comes to the uncertain environment, for example, and that's open-ended environment, and you so you choose Minecraft, maybe first step, why choose to do that in Minecraft? And when it comes to robotics, you speak a little about how we have actual soft robot that can apply this rule with it function. Maybe the first step away, choose Minecraft in that case. And uh, when it comes to, yeah. Um, so the idea in Minecraft was that um, um, that you can basically build anything in Minecraft. I mean, people have been building computers in Minecraft. People have been simulating Minecraft inside of Minecraft. 
uh, you can make robots, you can make castles. So, so basically, I think Minecraft is really like the that that the game that shows the where you can use the most kind of um, creativity. It seems like in what people are able to build, and so we thought then that's the perfect kind of simulator for artificial life because we want to see these things that, that, like this kind of creativity and open-endedness and that's why we also organized this um, uh, EvoCraft competition uh, where we want people and we, and we created this API that you can simply manipulate blocks in Minecraft and, and you can simply then also use evolution and, uh, and actually we just um, got the, um, uh, the submission sub close to submission deadline like a few weeks ago and got like really cool Uh, submissions that I'm looking forward to in a after this Gecko conference, uh, uh, like sharing with everybody, because there's really cool things you can do in this uh, framework that we didn't think about, and and that's why the reason why we used Minecraft also that you have a lot of different blocks, so like um, you have these different blocks and you can build a lot of different things with it. So that's similarly how in nature you have these like proteins and 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 you have these kind of discrete blocks and then you can use them together and mix them and and make a lot of different things with those ingredients. So um, that's why we thought is Minecraft is kind of a nice unifying frame. And also the other pictures uh, that you can use as targets for learning. Can we, I give you this castle, can you try to learn the rules to grow the castle? So there were a few different uh, things that why we thought Minecraft is particularly nice. And then also that has a broad appeal that a lot of people know it. And then if they see something in Minecraft, they, um, they might find it interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Maybe you're curious about that maybe the failure situation, because for example, we had in the podcast episode about uh, the bullet intelligence, Mike Levin, and he said that sometimes if we speak about the brain in a certain location and maybe not the same location, it doesn't make any problem for the creature. But when it comes to scenario like that in Minecraft, the, I don't know, the structure is not the same. It would be a problem or still can adapt to this kind of changes if it's not the same or depending, I don't know, yeah example that Mike Levin was saying that for example if the uh, eyes become in the back and the tail it's not the same exact location so it seems there's no problem yeah. for them that it, the body and the brain can adapt to this kind of different location but I don't know if we apply to what you do in scenario like that would be an issue so yeah I think the other thing that makes Minecraft I think a good domain but also a difficult domain is that Basically, if you make these kind of machines that you also want to move, like we have, for example, this kind of caterpillar that, that can, you know, inch forward. And they're very kind of brittle to, if I remove like some blocks of the structure, it wouldn't work anymore. So we need this kind of morphogenesis, this kind of neural cell automata to be very precise in the structures that generate. So I think there's a, a lot of room in this domain to test approaches to see how good are they with uh, this kind of like... Uh, If you slightly change the morphology, is it able to still make something that is functional? So currently, we are basically only rewarding it for looking the same as the original and then testing it if it still works. But one of the next things we want to try is also incorporate uh, like um, reinforcement learning to train this neural cell automata because then you can actually train for robustness also in function. So making a lot of different machines... That, that are robust to removing certain components. And, and then we might see some that they incorporate actually like fail-safe mechanisms, like more redundancy uh, in the structures that they, they make. So I think that would be very cool to, to look at that. Great. So maybe I'm curious about the design of the software, actual soft robot in reality. In, 
how do you see that could be applied? If we speak about the transforming what we have in Minecraft or maybe what you do in real actual soft trouble. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, of course, the, it's always kind of sim simpler in uh, just using like a simulation. Then we can do a lot of things that, that you would be much harder to do in the, in the real world. Um, but uh, now we have also, um, uh, now in our team, we have a great postdoc, uh, Kat, who's, who's also, she knows a lot about um, um, uh, this, uh, like these squishy robots. And, and, and so one idea of us is to, Initially, it might not be a soft robot, but how can we make a structure in the real world that would be able to know, for example, um, you know, that would be able maybe not to grow, but first, maybe one first step could be, can it identify its shape? Like if you make a structure in the real world, can it identify what that structure looks like? Uh, so so, so um, I think that's a big step that, that we want to take and then ultimately making things that move. But I think there, I think hardware is still, um, it's still a limitation. Like... Uh, I mean, we have seen from also the lab of like uh, Josh Bongard that you can make um, uh, like and, and, and Sam Kriegman in particular, that you can make these, you can connect these pneumatic valves to to like make a structure that can kind of locomote. But I think there it's still, um, we're still a little bit reduced, I think in the, or it would be nice if we can increase in complexity somehow even more. So what I also find um, very interesting is can we use some, uh, this work they did also on this xenomorphs where you can we incorporate some maybe not making everything out of like um, uh, artificial materials but can we also include some biological materials to make these kind of soft robot or some kind of you know like uh, bio hybrid robots that include both um, these uh, like what they use these muscle cells uh, but also maybe um, uh, artificial materials like a combination of those I think maybe that could allow us to scale it up to make kind of also more complex structures. Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think that's a big challenge, like making these things, also these neural cell automata, of course, it's one thing to make it work in a simulator of a soft robot, but if you have the noise of the real world and, and uh, there's a, like, actually, like everything is, is not as perfect as in a simulation. So I think there's a big step trying to get some of these methods working in the real world uh, and not only, so there's a lot of work where you evolve something and then you build it in the real world. But it's what I think would be great if we could somehow run the actual cell automata in the real world. Or like, if it's not just using evolution to make structures and then building them, but can we actually in the real world on a, on a biohybrid robot run these algorithms yeah. that then would do something interesting. But of course, that's um, how to exactly do that is, a, is another um, question. Maybe a follow-up question here because I think what's here is very interesting about, for example, biohybrid design. And for automata, you can understand how the neighbor cell, you have the rules. But when it comes to biology, I think that's what also Mike Levin said, that one of the grand mysteries in biology, we don't know how these kind of cells communicate with each other. I don't know if you combine the biology with what you do as an artificial um, automata. how do you see that kind of the learning will happen if you don't understand how it happened in biology, how these cells communicate with each other in biology. I don't know if you have thought about that or maybe there is an answer for that. Yeah, I think one thing that I think is, is interesting too, that there are these two ways, like one, one thing is maybe by simulating these processes, maybe we can learn something about how, how biology was able to, to build these amazing structures. 
Um, of course, we use very, very simple models and they're not in any way like accurate about like with how cells divide. But maybe there's still some interesting things. How does it, how, how do those things just through local interaction learn to make a pattern and then learn to decide, okay, you become this type of cell and I become this type of cell. So I think through, through these kind of simulations, we are hopefully able to learn, uh, maybe also get some biological insights because I, I believe there's still some biological questions in this kind of morphogenesis that are not exactly clear mm -hmm. how, how, how nature is able to do these things with such a precision um, that then it then it works. So we know the basic ideas, but there are a lot of unanswered questions. So maybe these kind of simulations could help there to 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 find mm -hmm. that. And then on the other hand, of course, we can learn from um, like ideas from um, developmental biology. Like, um, is there certain aspects we can incorporate in our models that would make them maybe work a lot better? Um, and uh, like, what are these? What are these mechanisms that that allow those 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 systems to work so robustly? So I was just reading this um, book, like um, uh, unfold life unfolding by Jamie Davis, and he talks about how the human body creates itself. And and uh, and mm -hmm. so and what one thing I think that we could still exploit more is nature is very good at exploiting like physical properties of the system. So just finding, for example, how do you find the, the middle of a cell so that you can then divide the cell along the middle? And so nature found us ingenious ways of doing these kind of things. And because our simulations are often so, they're not, they're very on a high level of abstraction. Maybe we have to run them on a slightly lower level to get these kind of interesting phenomena. So 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 maybe one thing that, that um, uh, we might want to do is yeah building slightly more accurate simulators mm -hmm. but that we can still run at a reasonable um, like speed but then we might see some interesting mechanism evolve where basically these mechanisms would exploit some part of the physical simulator to 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 work and might work more robustly than if they're in this more abstract world um, That's an interesting point yeah so I guess if, if there is maybe any counterintuitive maybe moment when you try to design the neurosatomic simulation and maybe the behavior was counterintuitive to you. I don't know if you have any moment of thinking something counterintuitive and was surprising how it behaved in a certain way. Yeah, maybe not so much. I mean, one thing I think that's counterintuitive is the way often that these structures grow, like, like, like you see, like if an, uh, like, uh, um, in biological systems, if you have something that grows, it's it always looks like, I don't know, if you have an embryo, it grows, it grows, but early on, it already looks kind of like a, a little human and then, it, and then it grows. But these artificial systems, how they grow is very like chaotic and very, not very, not that the, the castle at the start of growth or the robot, it doesn't really res resemble like a small castle or a small robot. So that's that was kind of um, maybe not surprising, but, but that's kind of counterintuitive that... Uh, so we're trying right now to see if there are methods that we could encourage it to grow more like, you know, that you see like the castle growing up and initially being a small castle or a small tree and then growing up to be a larger version. And and we hope that that will kind of make also potentially the training uh, like easier. Um, and then some things that, are, that were surprising is that... Um, it was actually surprising how well it worked in Minecraft. So, so when... Um, um uh like sham the first author on that paper when he had when he got it to 
to to work we actually were surprised that you could go into one of the temples and the trap inside this temple would also still work so it was able to actually grow like a functional structure even though we didn't even think about growing functional structures um, mm. and and then uh, and when you go in this temple in minecraft that was grown by the cell automata this kind of trap still works and and that was surprising that it can do that with such a precision um uh we didn't expect that um so yeah that's a good point but in that process if there's something maybe it was limitation or a trade-off you can't get over i don't know do you still have a trade-off you can't avoid or maybe limitation in the design for yeah i think one limitation is that um like it's definitely getting a little more like the more different types of blocks you have, the larger the structures, there's some, of course, it becomes a little more, a little difficult. And the other thing is that it becomes uh, also like computationally, like also keeping all everything in memory. So we're trying right now working on some versions that could maybe like if we wanted to grow really, really like big worlds with millions of like blocks in Minecraft or millions of um, um, uh, like cells in a soft robot, um it's still i think that that we need like there are two things like one is faster simulations like we need to you know also like run everything on a gpu and 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 find some some ways of paralyzing it um and then the other thing is how can we make these neural cell automata like also more efficient so you it could work with you know millions of blocks um so i think that's one limitation and, and i think but if we solve this somehow then we can have really like complex um, structures so i'm really curious to see if we can scale it to that level um and the other thing is that we probably need to develop some kind of like what something i find fascinating in, in like in um when bodies grow themselves they also grow things like you know then they grow organs and then in inside the organ it's basically like a very encapsulated thing that that doesn't uh, when that develops further there's not so much communication with the outside but currently in our neural cell automata, there is nothing like a like separate kind of part. Everything kind of can uh, interact with everything else. So somehow making more different levels of hierarchy in the cell automata, I think could also be a very interesting next step. That it encapsulates, okay, now this here, I only deal with um, these parts and here with these parts and I have a higher level that combines those two things together. Um, and that's currently, I think that's also limiting us probably. So maybe when it comes to learning and in that case, because you have been having people last year about meta-learning, uh, happy plasticity, and, and how it may be different from reinforcement learning, if you can tell more about it, do you think it would be sufficient to have a generic and adaptable structure in that case, if we, which technique of learning do you believe in that case would be more efficient to achieve this kind of generic and adaptable behavior for structures? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's always some trade-off between like how general is this solution and 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 how um, how fast can it learn. So if you have like a standard, the standard reinforcement learning, it can learn everything, but it also takes uh, can take uh, or not everything, but it can learn a lot of different things. But it also takes a long, it can take a long time. And so uh, I think one thing, and that's like a step with this habit learning we're trying to to go kind of restricting learning in a sense that the things that uh, you should be able to learn the task, the kind of a task distribution that we want to learn learning rules that are particularly good at this type of, of, of tasks. So, 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 and that's where this kind of meta learning comes in. So in the outside loop, you learn kind of what 
um, what rules should your neural network learn? And then in the inner loop, you can take these rules to learn faster. Um, and and um, and and my, I mean, my bet is on. I'm definitely more in, like interested in this kind of local rules and self-organization because it has so many, uh, I think, good properties like more resilience um, and being being yeah more more adaptable than this kind of typical reinforcement learning or um, or supervised learning where you you have this outside process and that changes all the weights in the network. Uh, but in biology, it's more that you have this kind of self-organizing process. Each component is simple, but communicates with the rest. So I feel like that's to scale our systems to more being more resilient and adaptable. I think we have to more embrace this uh, kind of idea of, um, of self-organization and, and local growth. Um, and, and I think that's a little bit missing components right now. And then, and, but okay. it, it seems like we can apply it to growing robots. We can apply it to learning in neural networks. So there's already a lot of versatility uh, that we can can use. And and some people also argue that this um, that idea of growth is like essential in in building, for example, brains. Maybe it's we cannot skip this kind of idea of morphogenesis, but we actually have to go through the process of growth to make a structure that's very uh, complex. Yeah, I don't know if there's something maybe still hard to understand when it comes to inspiration from biology in, in building structures like machine, uh, but maybe something beyond the neural automation. I don't know if you have any other ideas, but it's still hard, hard to understand how you can do that. Um, yeah, I think there are a lot of things. Um, like I think we're also still trying to find out. So basically, I think we have good optimization algorithms that can giving... Um, the ingredients they can learn to build a system that can then kind of self-organize. But I think the the important part is like, what are these components that they should have? Like, so for example, in our work on on plasticity and neural networks, we gave it the ability to do heavy and learning. But what if you also need like other mechanisms from like um, um, that that brains use, like neuromodulation, or there might be other mechanisms that that are um, useful for learning. So I think the the difficult part is what ingredients do we give our optimizers so they can make a system that kind of self-organizes. Um, and if we give it maybe too many parts, then it's then it's not going to come up with a, some solution or it overfits. If we don't give it enough, it might not be able to solve the task. So what are these kind of essential building blocks um, that we should give these systems? So I think that's one thing where um, we we're still trying to figure out what what should those be and looking also for like in biology like neuroscience and and um, and neural development uh, like in, into to getting inspirations from what should these building blocks be. Um, so I'm trying to read a little bit now like a few books on on uh, also this life unfolding, seeing if we can get any um, in, any inspiration for how to how to do that. Mm -hmm. Great. I don't know when research, do you have any moment of doubt when maybe, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes we have doubt of research. Do you have this moment and how you deal with them? If you have new ideas or how to select the right solution or ask the right question or having doubt. So I think that's something, I don't know if you came across and how you deal with them, uh, for example. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think oftentimes it's that you, I mean, you have you think you have a really good idea, and then uh, like um, you implement it yourself, or, or now I, like my students try it out and it doesn't work at all. So it's it's um, and then you doubt like is this the right direction or not? Um, and and I think um, 
one thing i mean it always pays off i think to uh to persevere so like i remember doing my phd one of my uh, people doing the phd with me uh joe lehman that that worked on novelty search like he worked on trying to replicate it get the bipad work and it and he said it took him a year but he got it to work so sometimes you know like it might take you a long time to get something working but in the end it's kind of worth um um sticking to it so i think yeah it's it's normal to have some like doubts and and some things just take take a while to to work out how exactly should they work there's so many choices you're making uh if you make a slightly different choice maybe maybe the algorithm would work better so i think the the advice is probably to not giving up too early i think on an idea and follow your kind of um uh intuition like um of course that also takes kind of time to develop and 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 sometimes our intuitions are also very wrong uh, but if you think something should work then it's good to find i think a reason why it doesn't work or at least understanding like in principle it should work but what are the yeah then trying to deconstruct it and seeing where does it does it fail and 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 seeing if you can learn anything from 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 that and and i think that um like helped a lot in if we get stuck that we try to take the it apart and trying to something simpler and then then maybe that gives us some ideas and even some projects they completely they fail and and they don't go anywhere but they give us ideas of then what other projects to try uh so so even in that i think moment of doubt then then maybe it's still a good lesson even if that particular problem didn't work it gives you some ideas for what you can do um what you can do next uh, but i think it's normal to as a researcher to have that feeling and and sometimes things you know sometimes things don't work for like all the projects you work on maybe nothing happens in six months and nothing works and then suddenly two three things work at the same time so it's a little hard to predict sometimes um also which things yeah. will work out and which things will not and um but in general um um i would definitely say it's i mean i like to and there are different mentalities but i like to work on things that are like finding you like that are not so mainstream i guess like finding problems that not like 10,000 other people are working on um and then uh, and i think that's where even if your method doesn't like beat the state of the art like if you make your own kind of uh, interesting problems to look at and interesting things to explore you still find something even though it it might not um, be the best performing method so I'm curious about maybe because we couldn't end a few question uh, left, but maybe what's your aspiration when it comes to the problem? What are our biggest problems do you believe that we don't give much more attention or focus? And we also have discussion podcasts sometimes because of publication pressure. Sometimes not all, and we're not making some generalization here, but sometimes we don't focus on the right problems or yeah, or the yeah, just having a solution for the actual problem. I don't know if you see that. Maybe something you feel that there is a big problem here and we have to give more focus or more attention. Right. Um, I, I mean, oftentimes I think it's, of course, it's also curiosity driven, like what kind of things interest you yeah. the most. I think that's where people normally do their best work. And, and, um, um, and that not always maybe it's not always correlated with how important those problems are to like, I don't know, humankind or something like, uh, I mean, it can be interesting problems and, and then we make small progress there and maybe ultimately, hopefully they could be used for, for something that is actually beneficial. Um, but, but for example, how I see this, um, 
this Minecraft work or the, in general the work on cell automata. Of course, it's it's far away from this, but but hopefully in the future um, uh, these systems could be used to understand like biology and and maybe help in understanding things that were things in biological development go wrong, like cancer. Can we can we somehow find out? Can we make artificial life simulations? To find out uh, under what circumstances, and, and I mean, there are people working on this. Um, but can this kind of simulation of, of neural cell automata help in, in this in this regard? And that probably, maybe that uh, will still take some time to take those insights into other fields. And then also one thing I'm excited about, um, and and I think there's that the general field of kind of um, um, kind of these swarm robots like where you have a lot of also uh, simple components that that collaborate i think it's a little neglected i mean there are people working on it but compared to how many people are working on other parts of deep learning and deep reinforcement learning there's definitely uh, neglect but what i imagine would be really cool using these systems on a physical system let's say they have this swarm of nanobots and because of using neural cell automata they can build structures they can coordinate they know the, their shape and 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 uh I think that could be very powerful in the in, in some part in the future um, using these technologies because in in all these systems if you have nanobots if you have drones you always need to coordinate a large number or if you have soft robots that are made out of separate components and a lot of them you need to be able to coordinate a large part of cells in some way to locomote to do something so this kind of idea of self-organization I think is um, is is important. Um, and and uh, and I think there are not enough people working on it. There's a there's a group of complex systems and people looking at organization, but compared to how many others are working on on um, like just machine learning, applying it to this kind of idea of self-organization, I think is is um, an like an understudied uh, research field that could Im impact a lot of different areas. I think. So maybe what's the most important quality in you have been, but also this year because we all have struggled for maybe but maybe to keep work and I don't know what could be the most important quality you have, you believe you have to maintain when you. Um, yeah, I think the most important is maybe to still being able to get excited about the research. Like if, if, um, or like trying to like, uh, because if you're about to kind of, you know, give up, it's good to, can, is there something that excites you? And I think that's a good motivator to keep, to keep working on things so so like cur being curious and being able to get excited about the research i think is a uh, important like if you can uh, especially if you can kind of choose what you want to work on of course it should be something that you have fun doing uh and and uh, and i think that's probably the most important thing having fun with it being curious and um being excited about like i don't know what what you're gonna discover um yeah so lastly, I don't know if you have any advices or maybe something would like to say for a young researcher maybe interested in what you do. I don't know if any something you would like to say advice or something for young researchers. Yeah, I definitely think it's there was this um, just this tweet going around about this uh, Nobel laureate who said you should always work on kind of like on on low hanging fruit, like on basically what what would be what would the majority of people. The, the next kind of problem like um, and not so much like blue sky but but I think um, and I'm not a novel laureate so I don't know maybe 
follow the advice with caution. But the, I think it's, um, I mean, I would suggest to try to stay a little bit weird and not trying to do what everybody else is doing. So not because everybody's doing, I don't know, some machine learning stuff, then uh, you have to do machine learning stuff. So the thing that everybody else is doing uh, will probably be not the thing that that leads to some, it leads to advancements, mm -hmm. but, but trying to do something that is slightly off. I think the beaten path is, um, um, at least that's how I kind of try to do um, my research. And of course, we're borrowing ideas from different fields and we are applying like current methods, but we're trying to do, not always, but we're trying to do something slightly different with it. Um, and, and, um, and I think that's how research is, then it's a little more fun. Uh, ex then, then if everybody else runs in the kind of same direction and does the same things, but of course not everybody. It's it's maybe it's difficult to, I don't know if there's a specific project you're working on. It's difficult to do something completely different. But uh, if you can, it's always good to have some, and at least some kind of side project um, where you where you're working on something that you're really interested in, um, and and that could lead to some unexpected results. So uh, we have mm -hmm. often seen, I think that, like in in our in, in the university and also our like our, our startup company that some ideas that people worked on in their kind of spare time or something that then led to something that now is like one of the uh, the major like products or, or in like um, research directions. So it's sometimes it's it's very hard to plan what are the yeah. ideas that kind of work out well. Yeah. So it's always good. Okay. I guess the maybe an advice is if you can, it's always good to have a little bit diversity i think like it's working on maybe a few different projects at least maybe more than one uh so if you get stuck in one then there's always something that that um you know another thing that that could work out that's excellent but thanks so much i don't know if you have any final words you'd like to say if you have any final words you'd like to say for the audience yeah. yeah yeah i think just to maybe final word to just embrace also this idea of um that maybe we have to let go a little bit of this idea of control of AI more embracing the idea of this kind of self-organization like that uh, and and embracing the idea of um, not only looking at the um, the brain but also how was the brain and how were the bodies created and learning from this kind of this process of growth uh, what can mm -hmm. we learn about that in creating also like uh, neural networks can we by looking at how the brain is grown not just how the brain currently works can we learn something about how how to make these systems more robust and by the way these bodies are grown can we learn lessons for uh growing so uh, like soft robots so i think that that's something that um i think in the next couple of years i i think um could be could become important Excellent. so thanks so much for sitting it was such a hour have you and very enjoyable thank you and see you, oh, thank, yeah, you. Thank, you. thank you very much for the invitation it was fun